Hello, and welcome back to Invisible Machines, your podcast at the intersection of UX and AI. I'm your host, Josh Tyson. I am co-author of Age of Invisible Machines, a book that I wrote with Rob Wilson, who is the CEO and co-founder of OneReach.ai. One of the reasons Rob was interested in writing a book about hyperautomation is that he spends a lot of his time in Zoom meetings with business leaders, customers, uh, even competitors, explaining the many intricacies that go into hyperautomation and conversational AI. Rob has more than 20 years of experience working with this technology, uh, and it's complex stuff. I was fortunate to be in a lot of Zoom calls with Rob as we worked on this book, and it took me a while to wrap my head around some of these concepts. But once you get kind of a foundational layer of knowledge about conversational AI, it becomes really exciting to think about the possibilities that might come. Uh, one of the first steps, I think, in that process is to kind of stop thinking of technology in terms of apps. We have kind of this ingrained tendency to think of technology in terms of apps. So in this conversation, which we'll just kind of drop into, Rob has uh, just come out of a call, actually, with some business leaders in the retail space. And he mentions uh, the movie Her, which is a frequent touchstone in our book and also in a, in a slide deck that he mentions. One of the things that we love about her is a very deliberate choice. Uh, when the protagonist, Theodore, acquires some AI that he's gonna bring into his life, uh, the AI is called Samantha, and Samantha is not an app. Samantha is an operating system. He installs Samantha on his desktop computer, but once he's gotten through the first few steps and is comfortable conversing with Samantha, Samantha can talk to him anywhere. He communicates with Samantha through an earbud that he wears. Samantha shows him photos and videos on nearby devices. It really becomes uh, an operating system for his life almost. Uh, Samantha becomes a bit of an extension of Theodore. Uh, and by virtue of that, you could say technology becomes an extension of Theodore, which is sort of one of the long-term goals with AI. Uh, it's not necessarily easy to see right now, but imagine instead of asking ChatGPT to write a paper for you, you could also ask it to check your flight status. And it could be that simple. You wouldn't have to have it check into your Gmail. You wouldn't have to tell it to log into an airline app. You could just simply ask for that information. And then behind the scenes, all those different apps or pieces of technology are sequenced and orchestrated so that you know the AI can come right back to you. The interface can return a response that says, yes, your flight has been delayed 30 minutes. And then you could reply, hey, can you send a text to my friend who's picking me up at the airport? Let them know. Boom, that's done too. The conversational interface becomes this layer that obscures kind of all the messy technology uh, that clutters up our lives and certainly that clutters up the insides of uh, most businesses. So I've actually split this conversation with Rob into two episodes. On this first one, we will be kind of talking about how to de-appify your thinking. Uh, and then the next episode, we're gonna talk a little bit about what business leaders need to do kind of once they have that foundational understanding in place, it's really up to business leaders to make some uh, pretty scary decisions. So in episode three, we'll talk a bit more about that. But for now, let's get into how you can kind of de-appify your thinking around conversational AI and hyper-automation. Enjoy. I kind of like was using your slides um and her, you know? Oh, yeah. I was going... What I said was her... In the movie, her, the AI was an operating system. And that probably 
you know, went past people pretty fast. But they chose it as an operating system. And by doing so, you realize that they recognize that it's more than an application. It's, it's, in, it's an operating system transcends all your applications the same way conversational AI is able to do. And so by them calling an operating system, it was very thoughtful as it not being another, just another application in a suite of applications. It does show a lot of foresight and right. Spike Jones, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on to talk about it. <laughs> but yeah, I think is maybe part of the, is that part of the problem you're experiencing is that people's minds tend to jump right to like a, like an app, a single solution or kind yeah, of Yeah, like... we're so, yeah, we're so baked in the app paradigm. You know, it's compartmentalizing all of our functionality into bundles of applications. Those applications being sold together and then mini workflows that ha happen within each app and then as soon as that workflow extends beyond the app, pogo sticking between applications to try to achieve tasks and get things done. And for some reason, it feels like when you, when you talk about the option of all your apps being behind one UI and not having to pogo stick between apps, it's as if people are not conscious of the amount of time and dread that they have for, oh God, I got to learn a new app or I got to open a new app or I got to re-remember how to do that in that app or I got to jump between apps and get them to talk to each other. Um, I got to copy and paste from one app to another app. And it just the whole fact that you can drag from your you know, iPad to your, you know, to your desktop and that that somehow, like that's a great feature. It shouldn't even need, be needed. Like what? <laughs> it just means because I have an app that's not on my phone or my iPad that's on my desktop, I got to drag this over. Like we've got these tools to make it convenient to jump from one app to the next app our operating system, like trying to make, you know, apps, you know, more accessible across multiple desktops so you can have them open and slide them and then multiple monitors so that you can have multiple apps. Open. Like the whole mess <laughs> that, that is involved in apps themselves. Um, and then the implications of removing that mess. And it just being effortless, just somehow it seems to get lost on people. They just don't, don't, yeah, they don't understand it, the implications, you know, it's. Well, part it, of it, it, I mean, if you pull on that thread enough, right? Like we talk about in the book, as we move away from apps and conversational AI becomes that main entry point, it gets to a point where it blurs out the edges of what a business is, what a brand is. Yeah, and, and I guess we're starting from a place where the and what business a job is, is the app. Yeah, and what a job is because you have app, you have people whose job it is to operate an app. Like that is their, that is their 
job or a portion of their job. I'm proficient in Excel or, you know, ServiceNow or some application, Salesforce, a, a setting up an app, the whole, yeah, the whole app industry as a whole, buying apps. <laughs> um, and yeah, for some reason, letting go and imagining a world where that doesn't exist seems to be very difficult for people in, in a way that you would think they would be thrilled to see that be gone, you know? Yeah. Like, wow. I wonder if it's a combination of not seeing the implications of it, but then also that familiarity of apps. And I mean, it's like, it's really hard for businesses to kind of break out of siloed environments. Maybe yeah. apps are like a, like a personal collection of silos in a way. You have all these different apps on your phone that don't really interact much, even though there's plenty of opportunity for one app to help another app, help a third app yeah. do something better. But we have them segmented yeah. in our daily lives. Mentalized in all of these different specific tasks that you can use the app for and then each app trying to grow the breadth of what it can do but ending in just confusing us more and making the app more difficult and then leaving a vector for somebody else to come and create an app that's more simplified um is this a cycle of of dysfunction in a way it's uh i it, it kind of occurred to me like it's kind of the the virtual version of teleportation, you know? Uh-huh. Like, what if, he, what if getting from point A to point B, you know, didn't require all the effort? You didn't have to put on your shoes and get an umbrella and then check the bus schedule and then figure out what bus connects to what other bus and then get off the bus, then walk to work. What if you could just teleport? You know, and and the implications of teleportation to Uber drivers and like, and there's just something where people are like, no, no, that's too out there. Um, I'm gonna do the even if you show it to this. them. Yeah, even if you show them, right? It's almost like they say, "You mean I could teleport into the Uber?" Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Suppose you, you could, could. <laughs> <laughs> but you kind of missed the point. Uh, it's part of the problem then that, yeah. like you said, you could, I mean, you can't, maybe they haven't been shown enough or shown in the right way. Uh, yeah. you know, I, I think it's a, it's a problem that we bumped up against a lot with the book, right? Like you're, we're explaining concepts that aren't really out in the real world a whole lot. You know, there's a handful of companies that are doing measurable things that you can point to, but it's it's hard to establish that baseline context for for what this stuff's going to look like. Yeah, I agree. Showing is everything. It's just let them let them see what it means. Let them try and use it. Um, it's no question. That's that's a big part of them getting their mental model around it and then starting to, you know, do the next the next thing, which is to evolve it and iterate on how to use it, um, come up with new and interesting ways. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Do you I think, think some of the I, use cases that, uh, people are coming up with for chat GPT, just even in the private sector where people are 
you know, coming up with all sorts of ways to help it filter their emails or, or reach out to people, just little things like that. Um, to me, that seems like the beginnings of that foundation, right? They're, they're seeing that by using this conversational interface, I can eliminate at least one or two little things from my day that are a huge pain. Yeah. I think they see the incremental, you know, adoption change, which is, oh, look, I'm in my email client and now I can construct an email more quickly or I get a summary of a long email that allows me to speed read it. But they're kind of missing the whole point. Like, why do I even have to be conscious of the back end technology that's transmitting a message from one place to the other? You know, why do I, why do I even care how I let Comcast know that my cable is out? Why can't, why can't a system just tell them in whichever way the system decides is most convenient or effective. And I don't need to know. So it's just a simple, you know, tell Comcast that my cable's out and the system tells Comcast, however, maybe on three channels concurrently, right? <laughs> just blast them, <laughs> calls them, emails them. And then they respond saying, oh, you know, we're having an outage. We expect it to last maybe a half an hour. They get back to me. And that's all I need to know. I don't need to know that they got back to me on email. I just need to know that it's it's an hour and and then it follows up. So um, that almost represents yeah. like the full orchestra. And right now it feels like people are hearing you know, they're they're comfortable with the piano sonata. They're not yes. ready to hear yeah. every instrument at once. Yeah, it's it's the it's the incremental improvements over our daily routines, you know, and, mm -hmm. and maybe that's what it comes down to. Maybe it's, you know, maybe most people anchor on their habits and their routines. And so when we can see, you know, incremental improvements to those routines that, that represent small changes to those routines, they're palatable. They're, they're easy to get your head around, you know? It's like Velcro shoes. Like, okay, so I don't have to tie my shoes in the morning. Got it. They can easily see how that just, they'll still wake up, they'll still go put their shoes on, but now they see how that incremental improvement will, you know, get them out the door that much sooner. Um, But, you know, when you're like, but also those shoes teleport you, you know, they're like, oh, so not only is it easier to tie my shoes, but I can teleport into my uber like <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're getting warmer <laughs> yeah getting warmer exactly and, and but what happens when yeah you're not you know you're not even worried about getting out of bed because you've been teleported into the shower and you know and it's not the shower in your house it's the shower at the gym <laughs> and <laughs> well maybe that's part of the issue is that it's it is it's a huge deconstruction of mental models, right? And so you're right. talking about maybe the maybe it requires incremental uh, experiences with technology to get people thinking in this headspace. But at the same time, there are, are things like ChatGPT and market forces that are accelerating everything very rapidly. So it creates a conundrum, right? You need people to fully understand what this technology is going to bring about so that they can make not only important and 
you know, meaningful business decisions, but also make the right decisions for how this stuff's going to look 10 years from now. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't like to be alarmist about this stuff, but yeah, it seems like those who get their head around it, open their minds, plot forward, take chances, will have this unfair advantage that will be make it very difficult for others to catch up to them. You know, it's, you see it a lot right now with, you know, senior executives being the ones holding things up right now in companies. They're just, you know, super slow to adopt, super slow to get on board, super slow to understand, um, super slow to fund. Uh, you know, they don't want to fund efforts that can lead to failure when experimentation is like key, you know, um, it's, it's almost like you have to run your company now, like a biotech, you know, where you're, where, you know, you need to run experiments and that those experiments are going to fail. Um, but the faster you run them and iterate, the faster you'll you'll land on a discovery and that discovery could just change the entire business. So there's this problem, right? Like there's, there's traditionally a hesitance in businesses to make big, bold decisions like this without a promise of ROI. Right. But the only way to even get close to seeing that is to just start experimenting, start building Uh right away. And you, you mentioned something interesting about maybe companies need to behave more like biotech companies where it's like everything just needs to be experimented on and tested. Yeah. Yeah. The idea that, you know, you're going to make an acquisition of a technology and that you're mitigating, you know, you're, you're trying to choose a proven technology out there. Um, and you got to make a decision before you implement it almost seems like it's just not going to work. You're going to have to implement it, see if it works, uh, try it and then roll it out, which is, you know, how a lot of software is being built this, these days and how it's being sold, but you still have those mega vendors out there, those big Salesforce and, you know, service now and these other ones that have these big kind of roll out decisions up front. So it almost, you know, flies in the face of the whole RFP process and saying, you know, you just got to get in there, play around, make an investment to trying out different things. Um, and then, you know, it's, it, it just may be a case of, you know, don't choose one, choose them all. You Do know? you think chat GPT has made things clearer for some of these people or is it making it more confusing just because there's so much going on? I think it's completely confusing because they don't know it's, they have this app. This is my opinion. They have this app architecture, right? And this ecosystem of apps, apps by department, apps by, you know, um, function, what they, you know, this app we have does this thing. Um, and then they look at chat and they're like, where does this fit? Is this an app? And how does this app fit with our other apps? Does it replace 
email? No, because it doesn't send emails. Does it replace? So they're like, well, where does it fit into our app architecture? And everyone's trying to find out where it fits in that app architecture, and it doesn't. <laughs> like that's the point. It's a UI on front of your software. It fits everywhere, right? It it fits on almost every piece of software you have, and so I think that's just uh, incredibly confusing for people to see that, right? Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, the 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 power and flexibility of it is almost too obscure. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Had to make a note of that. <laughs> so, yeah, this is an interesting idea to me, like the, that apps are kind of like silos. Yeah. And that they're just, it's just another thing that needs to be broken down. Um, exactly. In, in, the, in the book, we talk about breaking apps down into microservices or tasks like what what does this app do exceptionally well what are the functionalities that can become part of an ecosystem of other functionalities they're not it's not that the yeah it's like the very existence of the app is really what's holding people up in a way yeah yeah and in the interesting way when you look at chat gpt it's and you plug it into your app ecosystem it, it it actually in some odd way, it does the opposite. It adds another app to Pogo Stick, which means like now, in order to s- construct a document or an email, I got to go to Chat GPT, tell it what I wanted to write, then copy and paste that into my email client or my Word application. And then I construct the document and then I attach and share the document <laughs> via <laughs> Teams or email or whatever. So now it's like, oh, great, one more app to pogo stick between. Um, and how employees use it, though, will be super fascinating. Like, if you look at it from an education standpoint, and just the fundamental question, right, that the teacher has is, I asked you to do a project. How did GPT fit into that? Because <laughs> they want to yeah. know. As, as long as it just inspired you, it's okay. But if it wrote it for you, it's not okay. And how are they going to police or understand that? Um, and the same goes for companies. You know, it's it's no different. It's problem similar. How's ChatGPT going to be used in your job? Companies going to want to know. Um, a just to share it with other people in terms of like it's 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 adding great benefit and that should be shared. Or it's, uh, you know, it's fully automating a job and now you're paying, you know, an AI and a person to do the same job. Um, So governance around, you know, wrapping that thing and observing how people use it within the app ecosystem is going to be this like first thing I imagine that they're going to want to do. Probably Microsoft will add chat GPT as part of their office suite, (laughs) which to Mm -hmm. me is almost comical because, you know, it really just, you know, chat and and conversation AI should just eliminate all those other apps. There shouldn't need to exist an office suite necessarily, but we'll see it being But maybe that's the laborious kind of first step that 
people unfortunately might need to to see it if they yeah. can open up Word and they can just start chatting with Clippy. Yeah, Clippy is putting stuff into a Word doc know. and it's also putting it into an email. Yeah, that it's drafting. I think what people would be surprised by though, and this is you know this is a bit of future casting, is how brief that moment is for each person. You know, the second that you craft an email in a chat window with a chatbot or whatever you want to call it, an IDW di digital worker, the fact that you'd have to copy and paste it over to your email client seems like a really quick fix to say, hey, why don't we, why don't we just send it from here? <laughs> why, why, why should I, uh, uh, first I'll give you what, a copy button? so that it's easy to copy. And then maybe I'll give you a link to open your email client, auto-populate it inside of your email client as content. So, so now I've like, I'm like slowly inching my way to, hey, why don't I just send it from here? So I don't think it's gonna take long for that shift to happen. I don't think we're talking about years of, you know, pogo sticking between apps in a better way, I think we're going to see this happen. And I think some orgs are just going to explode on this and they're going to be, you know, very automated and others will be much slower. Um, yeah. The economics are also very interesting, you know, like why am I paying for an office license if I'm not yeah. really using all of these interfaces anymore? So. Yeah, and that's like the the Photoshop example that we use in the book. If you could just call up in a chat window, say, "Hey, I want to edit that photo I took earlier of myself. Right. I don't. I just need to crop it, and I need to, you know, brighten the the shadows a bit." And the, yep. And it just presents you a tool. It says, "Hey, this one costs five cents for thirty minutes. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to just use this? It's the highest highest rated tool. Like, you're not going to care if it is part of an Adobe suite." Yep. Yep. And you're not going to want to subscribe to the cropping no. app. And if the cropping tool crop is sending often. you emails about their new uh, features, you'll want a conversational bot to be filtering yeah. your inbox and, and judging, helping you judge if that's something yeah. you even want to bother exactly. reading. I mean, really what it comes down to is the cropping tool is going to be free because it's easy. And right. it's only going to be the super advanced capabilities that will have incremental costs, like construct an entire image like Dali, right? Where it's, you know, that'll cost a penny, mm -hmm. um, more or less than a penny to construct an entire image. And, and then cropping will just be on the house, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's gratis. It's like the bread yeah. on the table. Yeah. Everyone gets, everyone gets to crop. Yeah. 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 So, so, so yeah. You see like, like kind of another hockey stick moment. I know we've talked about like an, a hockey stick with adoption before. Um, you, yeah, is there going to be sort of a hockey stick with like realizing what this? I, yeah, can I actually think it's going to feel like I think it's going to feel like the home phone with the cell mm -hmm. phone. You know, it's just it's it's going to happen in that way where you just wake up one morning and realize, you know what? Most people don't have home phones anymore. <laughs> they yeah. just. Did they, did they make a 
big stink about it? No. Was it a big moment in their lives where they're like, okay, time to get rid of the home phone? Or did they put it on their calendar and say, you know, on January 2nd, we're getting rid of the home phone. They just moved and said, but do we need to get this? Nah. You know, they, they, they changed locations, decided they don't need it. Um, their phone broke and they just didn't replace it with another one. Um, you know, I think each person's got a story on how they, how they eliminated their home phone. Um, but yeah, just no one misses it. Well, very few, you know? Yeah. Um, it's just going to happen and the same is going to happen here. You're just going to send your email from your chat and then you're going to log into your email tool the next morning and have it. And eventually you're just going to see yourself logging into the interfaces less and less often until the yeah. point you ask yourself, I don't even remember how to get to the interface anymore. Um, yeah, where the word where email drops it. out of a cultural lexicon. Yeah. No one even thinks in those terms anymore. Yeah. Why, why do I care how, how they communicate? <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us on Invisible Machines. Don't forget to subscribe to UX Magazine wherever you get your podcasts to listen to new episodes. You can also watch them on the Invisible Machines YouTube channel. Age of Invisible Machines is available wherever you get your books. A uh, quick shout out to the marketing team at OneReach.ai. And thank you to our video editor, Michael Litvinov. We will see you next week.